Well, I'm not really sure how to begin after that announcement. I had the whole announcement, so I'm just, I think I do need to say good morning, though, right? So you can get one more check on the box. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you as we continue in the series that we started uh, two or three weeks ago now called Kingdom Come. This is kind of a phrase that is, is, a, is a unique phrase, but I'm sure it's one that we're all familiar with because it, of course, comes from the Lord's Prayer, which you just heard read by some of the people who had been baptized at our baptism service last month. The Lord's Prayer is this opportunity that Jesus took to teach his disciples how to pray and what to pray for. They had come to Jesus, and they were like, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? We, when we hear you pray, we recognize that there's something powerful in it. So will you give us some guidelines on how to do that? And when Jesus taught them how to pray, he began with this opening line. He said, this is how you should start. He said, start by recognizing who God is. And so, so you begin with something like our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And here it is, the phrase from which we take our series title, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God coming to earth is what Jesus invited his followers to pray for. Now that's kind of a unique concept, it's sort of a crazy concept, but what does that mean, the kingdom of God to come to our world? Well, the kingdom is literally anywhere and in any way in which the will of God is experienced. That's why Jesus clarified it with the following, with the following statement. He said, I want you to pray your kingdom come, and what does that look like? That looks like the will of God being done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we've been invited to pray for. That's what we've been invited to intercede on behalf of all humankind for. And that's what he's invited us to work proactively towards, to do things with our lives that would help bring the kingdom of heaven here to our world, to this community and, and beyond. That's a big deal. If you think about our lives being marked by this invitation to help bring the kingdom of God to the lives of more people in our world. And to that end, here at Heartland, the way we stay on mission, the way we stay focused with that is we have seven things. We have a mission statement, a vision statement, and five core values. Week one in the series, Dugan unpacks our mission statement, which is that we exist to help awaken our diverse community to Jesus. That's our mission statement. We exist because we want to help awaken as many people as we possibly can to Jesus. Our vision, the, the vision of what that would look like or what, what we would love to see happening as we work towards that mission is every single one of us doing something to advance the kingdom of God. Now, we would say, we, want, we would love to see every single one of us doing something. The reality is, that's kind of like, like lowest common denominator. Ultimately, our vision would be every single one of us doing everything we can with our lives to help bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. But I'll settle for something. If every single one of us would do something, we'll start there, all right? And then beyond our mission and our vision, we have five core values. And last week, we talked about the core value that we are in this together. One of the things that I think it's important to recognize is that our faith so often feels like a private thing, right? Like, this is my relationship with God. This is my interactions with him. This is my journey with him. And, and that's true, right? Nobody else can, can make a decision for you. Nobody else can force their relationship with God on you. Like, that is for you to decide. 
But it's important to recognize that our, our relationship with God, our faith, was never meant to be an individualistic thing. Like, it has always been, from the very beginning, meant to be a community thing where we are in it together, where we carry one another's burdens. And that means there are people who know you well enough that they help carry your burdens and in whom, and in return, whom you carry burdens for as well. That's why we gather together. That's why this is such a priority, to set aside a little bit of time every single week at the beginning of the week to fix our minds on things above, to come together and to encourage one another and to, to, to bless one another and to check in with one another, to gather together as we lift up his holy name. This has always been intended to be a together thing. And this is one of my favorite things about what God is doing in this place is that the togetherness in this place is so real and so beautiful that all across our communities, there are groups of people gathering together to do life with one another that are living out this value that we're in it together. And this is what you're invited into if you're new to Heartland. You're just checking this place out. Or if you're watching online and you're looking for a place like that, we're in it together. But there's always room for more people. Today, we're going to shift and, and we're going to kind of swing the pendulum a little bit with our next core value. The first core value that we're in it together is a little bit inward focused because it has to start from a, a foundation of this togetherness, right? We're the body of Christ. We link arms together, but we gather together so that we can go out. And so today we're going to kind of shift the lens from looking internally and we're going to look externally. This next core value, the one that we're going to unpack today, comes from a parable that Jesus told. And um, it's an important parable. It's so important that two of the gospel writers documented this parable, both Matthew and Luke. Both of them said, hey, people got to know about this parable that Jesus tells. We're going to look at it today from Luke's gospel. If you bring your own Bible, you want to follow along, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. But we'll put it on the screen uh, here in a second. But what you got to know is that the group of people surrounding Jesus when he told this parable was wildly diverse, people from all walks of life. And it's in this context, this setting, that Jesus launches into what will become the foundation for our next core value. This is what Jesus said. He said, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around. Okay, so just imagine that you've got this one group, the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Then his conclusion is, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you back up just a little bit before this, this is the very beginning of Luke chapter 15. But at the end of Luke 14, we're told that large crowds of people were traveling with Jesus. 
It's understood that at this point in his ministry, Jesus' fame was on the up and up. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Everybody wanted to get close to him. Everybody wanted to see the miracles that he was rumored to have been doing. Everybody wanted to receive the, the miraculous blessings that Jesus was giving to people. They wanted to hear the way he taught. They wanted to hear this man pray, the, the unique prayers that he prayed. Everybody wanted to get close to Jesus, which means that there was people who were both young and old, rich and poor, people who were educated and uneducated, people who worked white-collar jobs and blue-collar jobs, people who voted left and people who voted right and people who voted in the middle and people who didn't vote at all. That included people from that, that, that would think of themselves as religious people or, or people of faith. It included people who were not considering themselves religious or people of faith. And Jesus welcomed them all. And the beginning of chapter 15 tells us that, that while Jesus welcomed them all, that drove the religious leaders nuts. They did not appreciate that Jesus welcomed them all. And they wanted Jesus to condemn them and send them on their way. Here's all you got to do, Jesus. You just put them in their place, you call them out, you kick them out, right? That's all they wanted. But Jesus said, I'm not only, only going to welcome them, I'm going to take this one step farther for you Pharisees and for you teachers of the law. And Jesus tells this parable that they would have all been able to relate to. They lived in an agrarian culture where there would have been a lot of shepherds around. And so they would, he tells this story about this shepherd, and he says, suppose this shepherd has a hundred sheep, and he's caring for his hundred sheep. And he takes them out, and he discovers that one of his sheep is missing, which that in and of itself says something about God's heart for us. To think that a shepherd would recognize one out of a hundred. I don't, I'm not a shepherd, but I just have to imagine if you showed me a group of a hundred sheep and another group of 99 sheep, I'd think it was the same. But a, a good shepherd would know the difference. And he's saying, this is God. God recognizes when one's missing, when one is lost. And so he says, what does any shepherd do, you guys? says a shepherd, a shepherd would leave the 99 to go after that one sheep that is lost. It says the shepherd would not act like, well, you know, it's only one. I've still got most of them. Like, those are pretty good percentages. Like, I'm okay with, with the 99. No, of course not. A shepherd would want all of his sheep. And any parent who has multiple children can relate to this because it wouldn't be good for you to lose one of yours, Right? For me and my wife, Ashley, we have three kids. We have a 16-year-old named Beckham, a 14-year-old named Easton, and a 12-year-old daughter named Braylon. The boys are great. My daughter's perfect. And um, so like a decade ago, though, I'll never forget this experience. A decade ago, Ashley and I were looking for something to do, and it was St. Patrick's Day, and it was a beautiful day. So we decided we were going to take our kids down to the St. Patrick's Day parade in downtown Madison. And we knew at that age, or I think our kids were two, four, and six, we knew our kids loved parades. I mean, how could you not love, like, floats where everybody's just throwing candy at you, right? Like, I still like parades. <laughs> I got a sweet tooth. And, um, but at this age, we had, we had only done, like, smaller parades. We'd done stuff here in town. We loved the Cornfest Parade here in Sun Prairie. And um, so we had done things like this. We had never been to one in Madison. And so we head downtown Madison on St. Patrick's Day and uh, 
When we first got there, first of all, I will say I could not get over how many people had come out for this parade. I was like, wow, Madison has either a a whole lot, like 100,000 very devoted Catholics who think it's important to honor the life and ministry of St. Patrick, or just a lot of people who like to drink green beer. I don't know which it is, but one of the two. And so we go down to the parade, and it's on the square that we find our spot, and we squeeze in. You know, we're right on the curb, and we've got a good location. And um, pretty soon, like, some friends walk by, and we go, oh, my gosh, like, what are the odds that, that we would run into friends down here surrounded by all these people that we don't know? And so we start talking to them, and we're like, well, stay with us, make room here. And so we, like, expand our, you know, you kind of, like, take some space from the people next to you. And uh, so we, like, made room, and so I'm talking to my buddy, and Ashley's talking to her friend. And all of a sudden, Ashley grabs me by the arm, and she goes, John, where's Easton? And I was like... I don't know, the kids are your job, right? Like, aren't you watching them? It's like, I'm talking to my buddy. And uh, she's like, where's, where's Easton? And I, I did, I said, I don't know. I was talking to my buddy, like, aren't you watching them? And I thought you were watching them. She's like, I thought you were watching them. I'm like, no, apparently neither of us were watching them. So we look around and we don't see him anywhere. And so you can imagine as a parent, a four-year-old little boy at a parade with that many people, our hearts sunk like, I felt sick to my stomach. I felt my, my heart in my throat. We spread out, and we are immediately looking everywhere. And I'm running around going, Easton, Easton, buddy, where are you? Easton. And I'm grabbing people, and I'm like, hey, have you seen my son? He's a, he's a little boy with fair skin. He likes candy and parades. <laughs> they look at me like, you moron. They just described about 10,000 people around us right now. And, and so I'm just asking. I'm like, hey, will you help me look for my kid? And, and my wife, who, everybody... Who I asked, like, was like, you know, just like, kids, come here. Like, turn their back on me. Everybody my wife asked had compassion. So she amasses this army of moms. And they're all looking and spreading out. And then we're just panicked because the longer the time went by, the further and further, like, our minds went with what could be happening to our son. And we're like, wait, what if he's been kidnapped? What if he gets hit by a parade float? What happens here if we lose our son today? At no point in that experience did I think to myself, well... I still got two out of three, pretty good percentages, you know, just one. No, I have three kids. God gave me three kids. I love all three. I I like all three. I want all three kids. Most days, I want all three kids. What Jesus was trying to drive home this point was he's like, that's the heart of the Father for you. That's the heart of God for every single person. The Apostle Peter, who heard Jesus tell this and then watched Jesus live this out, articulated it this way. He said, the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised. Like like Jesus said he's going to come back for us. And people started to wonder, like, why hasn't he come back? And Peter said, listen, he's not being slow in doing what he promised the way some people understand the concept of slowness. He said, God is being patient with you. And look at this. This is why. He doesn't want anyone to be lost he wants everyone to come to repentance god doesn't want anyone to be lost that's the heart of god the father he doesn't want anyone to be lost eventually we spread out and somebody one of these random moms that helped my wife (laughs) uh found our son he had uh kind of just innocently walked into a toy store that was on the square and was in the very back of the store sitting on the ground where you couldn't see him from the storefront playing with some trucks. 
for him, it was no big deal. He got up and he came out and he's like, what's, what's going on? So are we ready for the parade to start? You know, but, but for us, it was like the relief was so, so deep to have our son back, to know that in that moment that he was lost, I would have given anything and everything to have that one back. And that's the heart of, the God, of our God. For every single person that you and I lock eyes with, that's the heart of God towards them. That he would give anything, he would give everything to get every single one of his children back. And that's why our core value, the way we state it here at Heartland, is simply that we are all about the one. We are all about the one. We are all about every single person. We, we are for them. We are, we are pursuing them. We are trying to help them experience life in the kingdom of heaven. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. This is what we're doing together. We are trying to reach every single one. It's not okay to God that any of them would be lost to him, and it's not okay to us either. This is the mission that we have been called to, and this is the mission that we're on. This is the mission that we're looking for more people to help us with. When Jesus was going to the going to be ascended into heaven. When he was about to leave, he, he gave his followers their marching orders. He said, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. All of them were there in Jerusalem. They had been camped out in Jerusalem. And he said, guys, I want to be clear. It's not okay for you to stay here in Jerusalem. God doesn't only care about the people in Jerusalem. You're going to have to spread out. You're going to have to go. I want you to go to the ends of the earth because God wants every single one. So he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that I've taught you. And know that I'll be with you to the very end. This is the job that's been given to us. This is the baton that has been passed to us for our generation and for our communities to help the kingdom come to the lives of more people, to our family and our friends. Jesus and Peter used the language of being lost and being found. The Apostle Paul would extrapolate on this idea when he wrote his letter to the Christians living in the city of Corinth. And this is how the Apostle Paul articulated it. He said, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he said, yes, it starts with you individually. It starts with, with, with you being reconciled to God. But then from there, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this is why we do what we do. This is why we invite you to engage the way we invite you to engage so that you can be part of the fulfillment of this calling, this ministry that has been given to you, this ministry of reconciling other people to their heavenly Father so that they get in on the kingdom of heaven as well. This is why we serve. This is why we give. This is why we show up. This is why we put on events like Trunk or Treat and we take time to decorate our trunk and just give out candy to be good for this town. 
This is why we do things like the ultimate Christmas party and Christmas Eve services that we invest so much time and energy into because we, we want to help reconcile our community to their Heavenly Father because God passionately cares about every single one of them. One of the things that we thought we would do starting today is we would make available some simple cards that make it easy to invite people to come to church with you. Now, I want to be clear. We don't invite people to church because we want to make the church bigger. We invite people to church because we want to bring them to a safe place to learn and to grow. And so starting today, on your way out in the lobby, you'll see that we've made these four cards that make it very easy to invite somebody. They're four unique cards. You know, the first one says, asking yourself, wonder what I could do today? I know. Come to church. The second one says, it's church, but like fun, and you should come. Yes, church can be both meaningful and fun. Third one says, what are you doing on Sunday? I know inviting people to church can get weird, so here's the deal. If you're ever looking for a church that's safe, fun, and helps answer some of life's big questions, let me know, because I think I found it, and you can come with me. Okay, that's all. <laughs> the fourth one says, come sit with me, and I promise I won't make it weird. All right? <laughs> and then on the back, we have all of our info. And here's the deal. You and I have people in our world that God has uniquely placed us in their lives with some influence. You and I, all of us, know people who are going through seasons of life where they would benefit from a safe place, where they could come and just be encouraged and supported. We know some people who could benefit from an hour on Sunday where their life, where their mind is lifted up to things above, not on things that consume them the rest of the week. And it might be as simple as just extending a little invite card and saying, hey, if you ever want to come with me, man, I go, I love it, I think, I think you might like it too. I'll be there, I'll, I'll show you around. I'll introduce you to some people. That's all you have to do. And just imagine what God could do with that if hundreds of people who call this place at home started to be intentional with this part of the, the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us. What if, what if we got serious about not letting those conversations slip by? without taking them one more step and saying, hey, I think I know something that might help you. I think I know a place that you might enjoy spending some time. I was driving across town yesterday with Ashley, and we were going to just enjoy the day and sit outside somewhere. And as we drove, I just started to watch car after car after car drive by, and it, it just struck me how everybody's got their life and everybody's got their thing and they're running around and they're doing what they're doing and they're consumed with like their, their checklist and their calendar and their family and their friends and their obligations and it's just like it's hard to get your eyes up beyond that but as I watched people and as I just people watched for a while as we sat outside I couldn't help but wonder and I I, I said this out loud to my wife I was like I don't understand why everybody doesn't spend Sunday morning here with us or in some place like this where they, would, where they would feel welcome and comfortable. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why anybody would think, you know what, I don't want to do that. Like, I know there's like reasons, but, but I just think to myself, I just think if, if somebody experienced this and experienced how wonderful you all are, they would go, yeah, that was great. I think I'd like to come back. But the problem is they don't know it's that great. They drive by all week long, never 
never thinking to themselves, I bet what happens in there on a Sunday morning is really awesome, and I bet they would love to see me. No, they're not thinking that. But that's the truth. That's the truth. And that's the job. That's the work that we've been invited into to help the kingdom come for more people in our community. You know, sometimes I think that followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we are guilty of slipping into the mindset that it's us against the world. I think sometimes we're guilty of slipping into the mindset that it's all the followers of Jesus against all the people who are not followers of Jesus. Like it's all of us who are trying to live in the kingdom of heaven against all of the people who are against the kingdom of heaven. Like it's us against the world. But guys, listen to me. It is not us against the world. It is us for the world. It is us for the world. Jesus was never against anybody. He was for everyone. And this is what drove the religious leaders nuts. And this is what the people who they had said, you, like God's against you, this is what caused them to ask so many questions. So you, as you read through the gospel accounts, you see example after example of this, of Jesus not being against people, him being for people. And so, for example, Zacchaeus was a famous tax collector. He had extorted so much money from among his own community, from his own fellow Israelites. He was hated. People thought he was disgusting. Zacchaeus knew in his own heart, God is against me. But he started to hear what this new rabbi would teach, and he had to see him for himself. So Zacchaeus goes out on a limb, literally, to try to get to see this new rabbi. And when Jesus comes over to his tree, and when Jesus starts a conversation with him, Zacchaeus wants to know, Jesus, are you against me? And Jesus said, no, Zacchaeus, I'm not against you. I'm for you. And I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. You're hosting me. Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman one day at a well. She was drawing water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when no woman would draw water. But she was doing it because she knew that if I come when all the other women are drawing water, I'm going to have to face their ridicule. I'm going to have to face their condemnation. I'm going to have to face the reality that everybody is against me. And she thought, I can't take it any longer. I'll just draw water in the, in the heat of the day. And now here comes this Jewish rabbi. And when he sits down and she discovers that he's a Jewish rabbi, she immediately puts her guard up and she wants to know, so you're against me too. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, I'm not against you, I'm for you. I came to give you living water today. Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son who takes everything he can get from his father, and he turns his back on his father, and he turns his back on everything that was good and right, and he goes and he lives wildly. He, he just lives, lives it up. He indulges in all of the fleshly desires he wants to enjoy. And when all the money's run out and all the fun has ended, he finally comes to his senses, and he thinks, maybe I can go back home and I can get hired on as a slave. And as he's walking back home, he wants to know how his father's going to respond. Is my father going to be against me the way he should be against me? And Jesus says, no, the father runs out to meet the son. And he throws his arms around him and he says, I'm not against you. 
I'm for you. And I'm going to kill the fattened calf to celebrate the fact that my lost son has come home. Maybe the most powerful one of, of all. One day Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. And as he's teaching this crowd of people, the religious leaders drag this poor woman in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd, and they throw her down in the dirt in front of him. And they say, Jesus, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. We caught this woman sinning in a way that the law that God himself gave to Moses tells us we should, we should be so against her, we should kill her. We should stone her right now. That's what the law says, Jesus. Tell us, admit for once that you are at least against her. And in the tension of this moment, Jesus looks at this woman and he gets down on the dirt in her presence. And I think he looked at this woman and he said, woman, I'm not against you, I'm for you. I want you to experience life in the kingdom of heaven. Your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And all of the religious leaders could not wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was only always for people. Guys, it is not us against the world, it is us for the world. Now make no mistake, there is a battle that we are fighting, but it is not against the people of this world. The Apostle Paul artic articulates it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, for our struggle, some translations say our battle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Our battle, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle to fight, but it is not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in our world. And so every day, you and I wake up, and we suit up, and we put on the armor of God, and we link arms with one another, and we go into battle. But it is not a battle against the people that we lock eyes with. It is a battle for the people that we lock eyes with, even the people who do not know they are lost. And so we fight the good fight, and we take some blows, but, but just know, in the end, we win. The battle has already been won. We know how the story ends. We know that we're victorious. And in the meantime, we're just fighting with everything we've got for every single last one. That's why we're here and that's what we're doing. And we do it because we've received such an incredible love from our Heavenly Father. And He calls us to spread that love into the world around us. It's all because of love. I don't know if you guys heard or not, but last Sunday, Taylor Swift attended a football game. <laughs> and, uh, oh, some of you caught the news, apparently. And um, so she attended a Kansas City, football Chief, or Kansas City Chiefs football game uh, at the request of a friend, Travis Kelsey. And the story goes that Travis Kelsey saw Taylor Swift perform on her latest tour at Arrowhead Stadium where the Chiefs play. And so after the concert was over, because Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey and famous in his own right, he had the opportunity to meet Taylor Swift. And apparently, uh, the story goes that he went up to her and he said, Taylor, this was so cool to get to come and to watch you do your thing and to watch you rock Arrowhead Stadium. He said, I think it's only fair, though, that you return the favor and you come back once the NFL season kicks off and you watch me rock Arrowhead Stadium. 
And so she took him up on it. And last Sunday, she watched the Kansas City Chiefs just demolish the Chicago Bears. And um, sorry, Bears fans. Yeah. It was not a good game at all. Uh, it was so lopsided. And yet, Taylor Swift's presence at the game made it the single most watched thing on TV by far. Everybody watched the game just to see Taylor watch the game. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But people are so excited about this. They're like, this could end up being like one of the greatest love stories of all time. The way they met, the way this happened, like if they, if they get married and go the distance, what an incredibly beautiful love story this will be. And I think, yes, that would be really amazing if that happened. More likely than not, they'll date for a while, break up, Taylor will write a song about it and like have another big hit on her hand, right? But I would argue that despite what a love story that could be, the greatest love story was spoken by Jesus in just 26 words one night to a man named Nicodemus who was trying to wrap his mind around God's love for all people. And this is what Jesus said to him, to Nicodemus. He said, listen, Nicodemus, it's because God so loved the world. It's not against the world, guys. He loves the people of the world. Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What an incredible thought to think that it's God's deep love for the world. Even the world that doesn't love him back, he loves them with a love that has caused him to give everything in his pursuit of the world, in his pursuit of the one. I think deep down, this is the, the, the opportunity to live in the kingdom of heaven. It's the opportunity to live with an awareness of how loved we are by our heavenly Father. To experience all that comes with that. The community, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the purity of it all. Because God so loves the world. He loves every single person that you and I will lock eyes with. He invites us to join in with the ministry of reconciliation because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. So he invites us to pray and work for the kingdom to come into the lives of every single person that we meet, every single person we talk to, every single person we disagree with, every single person who hurts us, every single person who does us wrong. And we're invited to live with an awareness that this is how God felt about us. And this is what God has done in pursuing us. Can I close this morning by simply reminding you of the God who loves you? Of the God who spared no expense in his pursuit of you? That he wasn't content to simply say, hey, I'll let you them come to me, but God was like, no, man, I'm going to pursue you. And he has. He's pursued you in ways that you understand. He's pursued you in ways that you don't understand. He's pursuing you now, even when you don't recognize it. Why? Because he loves you. Maybe for some of you, you feel like you're just beginning this journey. Like this is all new for you. Maybe you even struggle to, to believe, is there even a God? I get that. I understand that. 
But I would say, man, everything around you points to the reality that there is a God. I go outside at night and I look up at the stars in the sky and I try to take in the expanse of the universe and I think there must be a God. I look at the full moon that lights up our dark world even in the darkest hours of night like we had just a couple days ago. And I look around at creation reflecting the light of the sun off the moon and I think there has to be a God. Yesterday, I saw a, a flock of geese in perfect formation flying south for the winter, and I just thought, there has to be a God. Look at that. You stand on the shores of an ocean, and you look out at the expanse of the water that covers this planet, and I just think, there has to be a God. And yet, even beyond the external, internally, you and I have a voice inside of us that goes, yeah, deep down you know there's a God. And he loves you. So this morning you're invited to step into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've gone or what your life looks like. It doesn't matter who you are. God loves you and you are invited to live the rest of your life in the kingdom of heaven doesn't matter how long it's taken for you to get here. I think you are exactly where you need to be this morning to take the next step that God is inviting you to take today. And so I want to invite the band to close with this one last song that speaks of God's incredible love for us and the overwhelming gratitude that should fill our hearts as we let the reality of his love soak in for us. And I want to invite you to take a moment and to just sit in the love that God has for you because at some point you were the one, but he was not content to let you go. So you listen to this song, will you respond and worship with us?